Episode 16 of Pounding the Table. Today is Sunday, November 15th. Hell of a week last week. Friday night went out and celebrated. Could not have done this on a Saturday, but I was able to rest up yesterday and ready to rock and roll here today. COVID cases rising. However, last Monday, we woke up to find the markets were essentially limited up based off that Pfizer vaccine data. So we saw about $44.5 billion of funds flood the market, which was, I believe, the most ever in a week, right? And so this news caused all the lagging value stocks to explode in this multi-sigma move. And at the same time, it tanked, unfortunately, a lot of our favorite names, right? So that only lasted for two days. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I've noticed over the past few weeks and past months, we drop for two days and then we come right back. So Tony, I know you are still out in California. You just had your best trading week ever during all of this. Let's take a look comparing to the S&P 500. You always want to look at some benchmarks. So year to date, S&P is up 10.65. So pretty good, right? Average investors feeling feeling nice on that. However, Tony, I don't know if I can actually share this on the air, but since I am an investor, your fund to date was at a little over 250%. 250.47% is what I was able to see. That's normal, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not normal. It's actually, it's ridiculous, right? Like my goal for the year, and I was like telling my investors was to do like 25%. I was like, if I could do 25%, I can make a name for myself. I can do it well. But I think once the market just started showing these opportunities post-COVID, because I wasn't in a good spot at all prior to COVID. And I think COVID really woke me up and showed me what was possible in terms of finding the right stocks and like the best stocks at the right time and kind of that whole thing of, Instead of buying the Amazons and the uh, Apples and the Microsofts, you can get much higher returns on other names if you diversify well. So I learned a ton that way. But once again, like I'm still always learning. Do I think that I'll make 250% next year? Hell no. Like I don't think that there's going to be the opportunity for that to happen just in terms of where the market will be, right? A lot of these big companies will just get bigger and bigger, right? So it's harder to multiply market caps off that. I mean, for the year so far, it's been amazing. And you know, I think now is like, we, we try to talk about this more on the pod is to be much more calm and safe and think about your goals, right? You don't want to give back a lot of those gains. Uh, but I do love a lot of the notes that our listeners are giving us. I want to shout out this one from Varun. He made me really happy, honestly, because it shows that anyone can take actionable lessons from what we say and apply it in any different market situation. So Varun wrote, followed the thought process today on last week's episode of Pounding the Table, sold Microsoft and bought Fiverr on the dip. Love large numbers for Microsoft. And Fiverr has a lot of tailwinds ahead. Thanks for the great work you guys are doing, Anthony Mash. So love to hear that kind of thing. We exactly mentioned that last week, right? Like strong stocks like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft will hold up better on these corrections of tech. And then I personally take those proceeds of those stocks if I have them and put them into these beaten down names that we love. For those of you who are new, Pound the Table is a podcast by Mash and Anthony Ohian, yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here before we go any further, the thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitations. So that being said, Avi, how'd we do last week? You've been talking about for weeks, SPG, 
booking IWM, which I do want you to talk about here in a second, but COVID's back. It's not because we have vaccines. Is this a yeah. bubble now at the tech stocks? My mind is spinning. Please calm me down and tell us what is going on. Yeah. I mean, this was just complete headline whiplash, right? So on Monday, you had that Pfizer vaccine data came out six months or so. We'll have all vaccines and everything. But once again, like that's six months away. But you did see this huge move in value that I don't think ever happened that largely before. That was like a huge standard deviation move, like very, very big move. So, I mean, that's why we've been talking since the first podcast to have those value exposures, because you don't know when it's going to happen, but value will explode and your growth names will get killed because they've gone up so much because of COVID. Just because that, you know, they went up because of COVID doesn't mean these companies only increase when COVID's flying. Like these are now huge, big companies like the SE, Mealy, like all those have benefited from COVID, but they've made a real place for themselves in the world. I mean, we'll just start, I guess, with Monday, right? So that news came out, markets were like limit up crazy all over the place. And you saw booking had like an 18%, like 350 point move. So my March and uh, April leaps for that went insane and I was selling put spreads against it. So it made it a lot. IWM, I had a bunch of leaps for Jan 2022, which I've been talking about for months. And like everyone knows, it's like my biggest position individually for any option. Those caked, those went from like one and 1.5 to seven and eight. So that's the only reason I did really well on Monday and Tuesday because they were rotating into these value names and like SPG also 61 to 81. And I had like Jan 2022 uh, leaps for 90 and 100 strikes. So I've been holding those for like you know, two, three months preparing for this day. So that's why we've always been focusing on saying, well, value is going to have that day. You just don't know when. So be prepared. And I'm glad that we talked about the risks to certain stocks the last podcast, I think three podcasts ago or something, we discussed our favorite holdings and which ones had more risk and less risk, right? So these made new all-time highs, went down right about to like under there, just barely under, and then went over back to their new all-time highs again from the previous high. So it's kind of crazy to see how quickly they recovered. Monday, Tuesday, they got killed. Wednesday, they rallied. And then Friday, it was a very big balance distribution day. So value was coming back up. And then these growths were starting to trail off after huge 20, 30, 40% returns just from the bottom the other day, which was nuts. So, you know, you had the SE, SQ, Mealy holding really well. And then we had Etsy, Fiverr, Fastly that got killed during this, which makes sense again, because those are the ones that have that specific risk, right? Etsy with the mask fears. If COVID's over, no one's buying masks. Etsy got killed, even though it makes no sense. Same with Fiverr. Fiverr went parabolic. So Fiverr got sold the fastest. And then Fastly, again, you know, has other concerns with like their customers and like the growth of that. So that's why those went down the most. You know, D-Dog did too, but that's because of their own earnings report, which was a great earnings report considering their infrastructure based. And then T-Doc, of course, got sold off because it's like Zoom, right? Like that benefited because of COVID. But once again, T-Doc's now a standard issuing component of these healthcare plans. So those stocks did really well for the last three, four months. Of course, they're going to be selling off. But you can see how quickly the best ones came back. You had SC, SQ, Mealy came right back. Even Fiverr, right, went down to 129 from 190 and back up to 177 before the end of the week. So you've got to be a trader and an investor. Like I don't care who you are. If you're not, you're not making the best returns. We love when stocks go up, we get super excited, but you do have to start asking yourself if things are going up so, so quickly, these massive evaluations, like what, what's the deal? Is this, is this a bubble? Is this thing going to pop or do you actually see these not being like the dot-com boost? Right. Yeah. I don't think this is 2001 for a lot of stocks, right? There are stocks that are overvalued. I would say just for like what they're doing now in the cloud space that are trading at high multiples, which is okay, I guess, considering we have really low rates and we have the stimulus from Congress and the monetary expansion and all this stuff's going to continue to happen. And if you think we're raising rates anytime soon, you're drunk. It's not happening for a while. And if we do, you should short the market to zero because that's where it'll go. But 
I think that this is not a bubble for a lot of the names we talk about, if not all the names we talk about. So late 90s and stuff, you had crazy valuations. Anything that had a dot-com next to its name that got listed would explode like 100% a day. I mean, like I wasn't there, obviously, but you can look at the math and say like, what is a standard PE for these companies? What's the standard you know, price to share going forward for these things? And it's so much lower now. People who say that real estate's in a bubble now, like we're eight times less lever than in 2008. So no, we're not in a bubble in real estate. Like we're not in a bubble in these stocks. Like, okay, people say Teladoc, Let's take that for example. Like next year, they're going to be doing 1.5 plus billion easily in revenue together. So maybe probably two to 2.5 billion, I'm thinking. So if they do that, then they're trading at like eight to 10 times next year's sales. That's not a bubble. That's a good value company that's growing at over 100%. That is a steal. So I don't think it's a bubble for a lot of the stocks we talk because I don't invest in bubbles. These are going to be the big game changing ones in the next five to 10 years. Tony, let's switch gears just a little bit. I know we're always talking about technology stocks more or less. One we brought up in previous weeks, just hit it out of the absolute park was Celsius, right? So for those of you who want a quick refresher, Celsius is analogous to like a Red Bull or a Monster Energy drink. And for those of you who do not know, Monster Energy drink was one of the best, if not the best performing stock of all time, which is insane, right? Taking a look at some of their numbers, we just knocked that thing out of the park. Their North America revenue increased 80% to 36 million. So again, it's a smaller market cap, right? But where I'm really excited is the international revenues then increased 172% still, only to 10 million, so small numbers. But they're already profitable. So the gross profit margins are already at 17 and a half million. It's all up 103% from a year ago during that quarter. Their distribution has grown 79,000 different retail locations. They had huge distribution agreements now with AB InBev. So that's like Budweiser, PepsiCo, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, Miller Coors, et cetera. So they're growing massively. They just got into Target and 7-Eleven, the distribution. Everything is lining up for this thing to be an absolute home run. As with any stock, I do like to be a consumer of it myself just to say, hey, is this something that's actually good? I did try Celsius. I, I bought one at the store and then I ended up going on Amazon, bought two cases of it, and I will continue to buy it. It's actually like a substitute for me, more or less for a coffee in the morning. So I love this thing, but let's talk about stocks, not how much I love this drink, Tony. Is this thing, you know, is it hit its pinnacle or is this thing in your mind still going to go here? No, dude, it just started. Like it hasn't even started as a stock. I mean, I'm telling you, like when you see something that does drinks, like it's rare for a company to do 50% gross margins, right? So it's 53.7 excluding the outbound freight. So right, like that's just delivery costs of some of it. So they're pretty much doing 50% gross margins on a drink business. Like that's very, very nuts to think about, you know, like, and they're crushing revenues. And I also love the name, right? The name's Celsius. So you know that that's going to do well in Europe. Like that's just like something that's going to make their ears ring. And they're already in 7-Eleven and Target. I mean, this thing is doing great distribution deals. And I would be surprised to not see it just continue to grow. Like you go on Amazon, you type in energy fitness drinks, it's like in the top five. So, and there's a lot of reviews on it. Like people are drinking it a lot. So that's definitely something you want to see, right? So shout out to Jake Stern. You know, he's the one who put me on this, my buddy from college. He was saying that he saw all of his friends are drinking Celsius. He's drinking Celsius. And then we had another buddy that drove around like a bunch of stores to go see if there's like Celsius in stock because he wanted to try it too. And he could barely find any of them to drink. Right? He went to like five stores. Two of them had it completely sold out. And the other three had like down to one flavor of the like 20 flavors they had. So this thing is getting bought hand over fist. So when you see the the product getting bought so much, you obviously need to buy the stock. Like that's no, that's why we bought it. And I'm 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 not selling it for a while. Like I think it could easily go to 100 if they keep crushing like this. You know, with all these strategic partnerships. 
Yeah, we gave this at 22, mm -hmm. I think, and now it's already at 32, and I think just a, a few weeks, right. right? So up 45%. When you see that, you know, like your girlfriend and your wife or whatever is talking about like, oh, look at what I found on Pinterest or look what I found on Etsy, you know, that that's when you, you're like, okay, maybe I should look at the stock because if this many people are doing that, you know, they're, they're going to bring their friends out on it. You know, people are going to buy and shop, talk about it. So it's the same thing with Celsius. And that's the only reason I got into it. Like I don't invest in drink companies. I invest in, you know, ideas that can really further, right? So it's got the health trend aspect to it. People like it. My friends like it. You know, that's, that's enough for me to take the, take the dive and then write these earnings reports, make me want to stay in for another three or four bags. Moving along, Tony, another one we discussed is ticker symbol PDD, which is Pin Duo Duo, second largest online marketplace in China in terms of users and number of orders. We gave PDD at 88, which was episode eight of Pounding the Table. I believe it was the end of August. So it's sitting at 153, yeah, 73%. Both <laughs> in just two and a half months. So earnings were a massive blowout, Tony. I know you have a love hate with this one. Why do you have a love hate on this one? 73% seems massive. Yeah, if I would have caught it, right? So this is something that I, I want to like emphasize. 73% would have been nice if I was riding it the whole way. And honestly, here's the, here's the shit part. Like I was in this stock at 36 and I was holding this stock and like I sold it in the 40s and I was like, okay. And it was because so many people that I respected and like on the Twitter universe and like, you know, just in general, people were talking like, okay, I got fears of L this is when LK did their scandal, right? So LK dropped all the way to $2. Everyone was getting scared of these ADRs. This China risk was terrifying. So everyone was selling these names like PDD and other names like, like Alibaba, whatever it was. But I should have just thought ahead and said, well, like, this thing's doing insane revenue. I don't think it really matters. Like they're growing so much now. They had a quarter three revenue of 2.1 billion. They have 643 million monthly active users of 50% from a year ago. Like you grow 50% on 600 million. That's insane. Like you're going to get so much bigger. And it was for me, like, I didn't really understand their revenue model as well. Like I knew it exactly what it was. I just didn't know if I liked it. So what they do is like they operate this, this e-commerce platform based on third-party social media channels. So you can purchase stuff together. It's like trying to get in a wholesale by yourself. You know, you're just like, you get a few friends and like, okay, we want, we want to buy iPhones. So let's have 25 of us buy iPhones or whatever. And the thing is that they give you kind of deals. Like you can enjoy lower prices you know, Pinduoduo gives you these lower prices and these deals. So for me, I was like, man, if they're spending money to get you to buy stuff, how are they going to make money? But one thing I just need to remember for myself in the future is if the revenue and the users is there, there are ways to get that profit no matter what. I mean, most of the time I've seen, I've never really seen a stock make XX billions in revenue without ever trying to turn a profit or getting there soon. So I guess have more conviction in your own stuff because this thing was really a no brainer based on how much revenue, like they were moving so much merchandise, even though I didn't love the way that they did their business. Clearly it's working if they're the second biggest platform there in, in Asia or in China, which is like obviously huge. So that's the love hate relationship. I mean, of course, this thing's now got a strong market cap of 168 billion. And right. So 2.1 billion quarter three, let's say like on average of the 8 billion this year, that's 20 billion price of sales of this year, probably less for next for the next year, of course, because you know, they're going to grow. So I don't think it's overvalued, but it has run a lot here. So I'm not necessarily buying buying this one. Let's jump into IntelliTherapeutics. So we gave this one last week as our thesis pick. So shout out to Arkna Trades. We originally gave this on the podcast back at $22. 
when we gave it at the thesis pick, kind of gave that double pound. It was at $28, so already insane gains. And then, again, shout out to Arkna Trades. That went from 28 to 33 just in the last week. Is this one that you'll continue to pound, or are we going to take this one and sell it and, and say thanks for the gains? Yeah, so this one's one of those stocks that you kind of just have to think about where the direction of the world is going, right? So it's not as much about the market cap and the valuation and all that, like, right? It's 2 billion market cap. That's really good because like, you don't want something like this to be 20, 30 billion with this low revenue it has. So it is trading obviously like higher multiple. And, and, and I'm sure that that can stretch because this industry is so new and it's going to be so crucial in the future, right? This is going to be able to tell people what diseases they're predisposed to getting and immediately identify any potential health issues such as disorders in babies and infants, which could take years previously. So that's going to be a huge thing. And, and all of these developments are going to significantly improve just the health outcome of people in the country. So I don't see anything like that not deserving a really high valuation or market cap. So it's not something I'm selling because you just don't know what's going to happen in five to 10 years. Like you want to imagine a world where disease is so minimal and where birth defects are almost non-existent because you have stuff like this. And if these are the companies leading it, right, Intelli just got a uh, Nobel Peace or Nobel Prize. I, I'm joking about the Nobel Peace Prize because we were joking about this last week, but they got that Nobel Prize in chemistry for their, their CRISPR gene editing tool, which is obviously huge. So this entire industry is growing. CRISPR is one of the ones that we always talk about. I love that. So I think that for me, if you want to be in this space, you have to own Invite, so NVTA, CRISPR Therapeutics, CRSP, and Intellia, so NTLA. I think those three are at the forefront of this industry. And then, of course, we talk about BioLife Solutions. So BLFS, they're the ones that are the picks and shovels. So they produce the materials that they can use to do all this research and work. So that's just the basket of the new wave of health tech, not like you know med tech. This is like actually going into your genome. This is trying to change those traits that can cause you to have diseases. So I think this is just like one of those, I envision a better world, like with solar cars, so there's no way in my mind this doesn't happen. It's just who's going to be the leader. And so I'd rather own a little bit of all four of the ones I just listed. But Intellia is definitely up there. Next one up here before we get into earnings is Farfetch. Again, ticker symbol is FTCH. We gave this at $28.79. Two weeks later, it's now at $45.67. For you math wizards out there, that is a 58% increase since we first pounded on this. So Tony, I got to ask you a question. Are we still trying to make fetch happen? Uh, or are we going to break the <laughs> break the law of physics here, like the movie Mean Girls? It might be before your time, actually. I actually did see Mean Girls, Avi. The limit does not exist. How do you like that? Okay. Not bad. Okay. All right. Anyway, so I'm a fan here of Farfetch'd regardless. Like, you know, it did have a huge run. So, you know, it's not the same thing to buy it now as it was to buy it when we were, like, talking about it first at 28 because – a lot of people have understood the value of this stock, right? So you see a company and they have partnerships now with Alibaba, Tencent, like they're, they're, people are throwing money into this thing. You know, they're expanding to grow in China with like a $1.15 billion investment. Like that's going to let it just take over. And think about other stocks that have had this happen to them, right? This Pinduo Duo, huge investments from those two I just mentioned. SE, huge investments from those two I just mentioned. Like these are the way, this is how this works, right? Like you get a company like Tencent, or Alibaba, and they throw money into amazing companies because they know that they don't have the resources, they don't have the, they have the scale, they have everything now, but they don't want to spend X and X, you know, millions, billions of dollars perfecting this one leg of business when they can acquire somebody who's making it and, and doing well already, right? Like Tencent owns 25% of SE. These companies know which companies are going to do well in their market because they're already crushing it themselves. So it's like Amazon buying Whole Foods, like they've retrofitted Whole Foods and now Whole Foods is 10 times better than it ever was. Like that happens when companies get big enough and they find great legs they want to add. So it's like 
Farfetched is one of those companies that will be huge, right? Luxury held up the best during COVID. That's the that's the area of, you know, the dollar signs that didn't crash so much. Like sales and luxury were always pretty good. And that's because of who loses money during like, you know, standard economic shutdowns. You know, the people who are quite rich do, but the people who are less rich, who already don't buy these luxury goods, you know, there's no change to them. So, you know, it's not like one of those companies that's going to die after COVID either. You are buying luxury goods all the time. It's a huge market every year, right? Like one of the richest people in the world, like Bernard Arnault, guy owns like Moet, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton. Like he, he is so rich. He has like $113 billion. He's like right up there with Bezos and Zuckerberg. He like might be richer than Zuckerberg. So when you think about that, like this industry is obviously big enough to provide those kind of profits if, if one of the richest people in the world made it that way. And if Farfetch is going to, you know, they, may, they take a big commission of everything that they sell they have this like live video kind of selling where you can you know market your product through a video, which is like kind of a newer thing that hasn't been really happening much for, for clothes and everything. That's just kind of a new wave of how that industry is going to go. And I do love the numbers too, right? The price of sales next year is 7.6. They destroyed their earnings, right? They had revenue of 437 million beat by 67 million on expectations. Like you don't just beat like 18% revenue randomly and you have this investment in ten, with uh, Tencent Baba and like people are throwing money at this thing. So I'm a huge fan of it. I think it might just trail off a little bit because it ran so much, but I will be accumulating this more and more as it dips because I, I do think this is going to be one of those 40 to 200 kind of SE moving stocks. So this is what I want to talk about here with Beyond. Like everyone loved this stock. It was one of those crazy IPOs that went absolutely parabolic, then crashed, then went parabolic again. And everyone thinks that this fake meat trend is a huge industry. And it is. And people are going to go more and more towards that. But why towards Beyond, right? We've, we covered the Beyond valuation when we talked about Tattoo Chef like a week or two ago. But Beyond showed that they had revenue going down quarter over quarter. That's it. That's the end of the growth story for Beyond. It, it's dead now. Like unless that revenue starts to increase and grow, then you can't value it as a growth stock. So people are like, why did it go from 170 to 110? Because you're not gr- you're not showing me that you can grow. So you're dead to me, Fredo. You know, you're my brother. I know, I know you did it, Fredo. It's one of those situations. So, you know, it, it, you just got to take them out on the lake and do what you got to do because it's not the same stock anymore. And if that ever happens to any of my stocks for a specific reason, like they said it was because of COVID, but like isn't COVID increasing these like fake meat sales because there's a meat shortage because of COVID, right? So this is like a suspect story to me in general. They should be crushing it. So a lot of things I don't like about that. Beyond is one of the first things I'm going to say that's a sell. Like I don't want to be in that at all. Tattoo Chef, on the other hand, I would prefer to be in that over Beyond. But, you know, just to go further into that, like looking at, at stocks that I said before were super valued and now they're getting better. Because over time, what will happen is a company's revenue growth, gross margins and costs will all come together and give you that like price of the stock, that picture of where it should be in the future. And the more time that passes with good execution and the stock's holding steady, like let's say shop, for example, it's been at 900 for six months now trading up and down. But over that time, it's had two amazing quarters of revenue and two amazing quarters of margins and growth and everything's doing well for it. And it's gone from like 60 times next year sales to 29 times next year sales. So over time, it's been holding here and basing and it's becoming a much better stock. So I'm interested in shop now. Like I was just looking at this and I was saying like shops way overvalued compared to Mealy, but things come in line over time. So that opens up new opportunities. So when people are saying like, I trade for valuations, you look at something like shop, which like you might not like it at 60 times, but six months go by. And now it's 29 times and you know it's going to grow at 75% a year. So that's a much better buy now. But Beyond is dead because of yeah. that revenue flop. You know, it's, it's just not the same stock. It can change. It can be a better stock. Like I didn't like shop. Now I like shop. I never liked Beyond and I still don't like Beyond. But 
you know, that happens. Everyone had this excitement that Beyond was eventually going to land that deal with McDonald's. They took it in McDonald's Canada and they probably yeah. took the ingredients and McDonald's is going in-house now. And they're like, all right, thanks so much. We'll just uh, go ahead and do this in-house. And then you saw the stock absolutely plummet. So yeah, I think the moat here is, is just not as much as we once thought. I do think the sector as a whole will grow, but you have to think about the brand specifically, at least in my eyes, that this one is going to slow down for, for the time. Yeah. Unless anything 100%, 100%. 100%. Like, and things can always change. Like, we're very fluid. Like, I was saying for months, like, shop is not a buy here. And you want to know why? We're able to flip on a dime. Like, you you know, things were not a great valuation before, like, shop. And now I like shop again. And I've been saying since episode one, there's no reason to buy shop here. People are going to revalue it and let it come in line. So it's funny. I saw this chart that shows that as a stock's price goes up over, like, quarter to quarter, takes out the noise, not the daily crap. Just, like, every quarter, where is the stock price? It goes in line with that revenue. It goes in line with that increase in gross margins and operating margins and lowering of costs. And, you know, just that is how stocks move over time because valuation always comes in line with the stock's price. But the difference is, I'm not saying that everything should have a 10 times multiple. It comes in line with the valuation for that stock based on its specific traits. So something can have a 30 times, 40 times valuation like that Intellia, right? Because of the industry that's going and it's so new, it's so rare. It's one of the only ones. Give it that valuation. But right? Shop, there's a ton of them. There's Amazon, there's the Mealy, like there's enough comparables there that you know how to value it better and better. So as stocks become more and more, you know, older over the market and they see other competitors, they see things doing it in different areas, then valuations make sense. So it should be relative to that space, not to the market. Cause I think the market valuations are all crap. As long as it's, you know, not super overvalued, everything can have its own valuation range in terms of sectors and, and like industries. Unless you've been living under a rock, we are clearly, as I mentioned earlier, unprecedented times all around, right? The dollar has been slowly but surely going down, I think, because the stimulus injections we've had, uncertainty overall in the U.S. economy. I don't think Americans overall have really understood the value behind digital currencies. I know there's been this hype and people get excited, but like we've had so much trust in our banking system and government. It's not like in Venezuela where things are crazy and this is the most trusted form of currency. Clearly, America's become more divisive, more divided overall. There's been craziness from the far left with Antifa, the far right with Kinan, distrust in the media, the list goes on and on. So looking back from episode six, when we first discussed Bitcoin and crypto, Bitcoin was sitting at 11,300. Now, fast forward to today, it's almost at 16,000. So sitting at 15,861 since we first started talking about it. Is this thing going to 20,000 reaching all-time highs or is this reach its last leg here? I think that the entire crypto market in general, I mean, just blockchain as a whole, as like the future of you know digitization of so many things can be securitized and, and digitized with blockchain. I, I, it's not going anywhere. So it's just going to be a matter about which coin we want to like use as a dominant coin. I think Bitcoin is one that ushered in all this crypto hype. So I think that's the one that people are going to assume is the you know digital gold standard compared to other random altcoins or you know Ethereum. Of course, is like another one I like love. That's going to be even bigger, I think, for actual operational use. You know, just for actually embedding that kind of stuff into everything else that we do in other industries, like you know, medical records, you know, things like that. So I'm still very bullish on cryptos in general. It's just a matter of you know when people want it and how much they want of it, because 
when you look at the entire market cap of all of Bitcoin and all of Ethereum, it's like really not that much. So you can see these huge spikes are done by people buying a lot and these huge sells are done by people selling a lot. And it's a volatile thing to be holding. But I think over time, I would much, much, much rather have Bitcoin than gold. So yeah, I go back and forth personally on crypto. Like, yes, it does make sense, right? If, if it does become ubiquitous as cash and people are taking it, then it has some value. I guess my, my personal take is I just see way too many 19-year-old kids that have been holding on to this. And I just can't see a world in which the big, big players that have been building out wealth for generations are going to allow this transfer of wealth. I could be very wrong, as clearly I have been thus far. But uh, I do think it's going to shake out a little bit more before we find some digital currency. I do believe in blockchain overall, but Bitcoin, I guess, more or less, or whatever coin, there can't be 5,000 coins, in my opinion. Bitcoin, yes, it could work, but my take is there's going to be a little bit more shaking out. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be shaking out, of course, there's always shaking out. And I totally see your points there. But when you see companies like Square Cash buying a ton of Bitcoin and allowing for Bitcoin transactions to happen and trying to do Bitcoin brokerages and the same thing with PayPal, right? Like you see that these companies are getting into that blockchain form and they're using Bitcoin as it. So they're themselves giving it that credibility. They're giving it that use around the world that if my friend can take Bitcoin on PayPal, then I can get Bitcoin and I can own Bitcoin. And if I know that I'd rather own Bitcoin than cash because there's a fixed amount of Bitcoin and over time, each Bitcoin will have to be worth X and X more over time. We were saying this just now that stock prices trend up with their earnings over time. Bitcoin can trend up with like the happenings that happen. And the fact that as more people have it and they want to be using Bitcoins, you know, instead of a cup of coffee being worth one Bitcoin, it'll be worth 0.1 and then 0.001. And you can expand that all the way down to 0.0000, whatever, you know, then you're just going to be trading in Satoshis like dollars, which is fine. But I think that's actually going to be what's going to be happening. But that's going to take time, right? And, you know, you have JP Morgan who they want to do their own JP Morgan backed $1 coin and other people are talking about this MasterCard, Visa are getting more into this realm. So it's becoming adopted. It's just going to take so much time to get that being a huge thing. But I think it will be Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, If there's another coin that comes out and changes the game, then I will easily just you know hop on that and talk about it here. But for now, you know, play what's working, right? And those are working. It seems that there is this kind of consolidation box I know you were talking about. People are really bearish because their tech stocks are down. The market's rallying, though, on a more broad term. So what the hell is going on? Right. So everyone right now is looking at the same charts that are happening. You're looking at the S&P 500 chart, which has made that like double bottom, triple top possibly thing. Same with the Qs, and they're doing the same thing. So you haven't really had a broad-based rally where the S&P did well, and the Nasdaq's doing well, and then the Russell 2000's doing well, which is finally the Russell 2000's at a new all-time high. So think about that. Like COVID is happening killing small businesses and the small cap 2000 is at an all-time high, right? So you can keep fighting against it. You can think it's a bubble and everything that's fine, but why would you keep fighting this incredibly insane trend that's happening now? And it's the, when you see that broad-based strength, because the Russell is what bottomed in March, right? So the Russell is now showing you the markets want to go higher. It's very, very impossible for the market to go down as long as value and tech are at least moving slightly in tandem. That's a very bullish sign. And what happened is these rotations allowed for that to happen. Like you got this broad based rally now because the value spike on Monday shot up the value names and it held up the tech, even though, you know, our growth went down, but the big tech didn't get crushed a lot. Like Apple did well this entire time. So 
you've got this like nice breath in the market, you know, and that is going to allow us to go higher. I think that we're going to break out and keep going. However, if we do start selling off, right, if we get under 3480 on the S&P 500, 3456, and the biggest key, right, level 3428, then, you know, we'll go back down to the bottom of that range, which is 3230 or so. And that's been the bottom two times in a row. So you've got a very defined, clear box right now that's happening. So you just got to wait to see which side breaks out and closes over for multiple times because you don't want to get the same fake breakout that we had at the beginning of September, right? Because you had that multi-year diagonal trend line on the top, right? And that was from the last four or five years of market rally. And we broke right above that. People thought we were going to go parabolic like the Qs did on the S&P 500, but we just crashed right back under and that began that 400 point sell. So Tony, there's been corona news going both directions, right? We have one hand, cases are up, things seem like the world's going to end. And then on the other hand, we got all this positive news flow, right? We got Moderna, Pfizer, other vaccines, et cetera, that is happening. Can we expect these rotations to continue kind of back and forth? Or do you think we'll have this broad-based rally over all markets over the coming months? So I think that you're going to continue to get a little rotation for the next few weeks. Like, I just don't know how people are able to buy and sell so strongly you know these entire rotation sectors like they're doing huge money in the value and cyclicals and then huge money in the tech and growth and nothing is really changing right? you still have bad covid happening and these vaccines are still a time away so what i think is going to happen is like you're going to get more and more optimism overall and the markets look so strong right now like it's very rare to see them this strong and i know that we've had this huge run back up from the lows you know prior to the election and that is a huge result of everyone getting so prepared and so hedged and so short and like i mentioned this on the podcast before the election that you know everyone has their risk off everyone's trimmed everyone was hedged you know goldman sachs had one of the biggest levels of shorts ever and like you know, the fear indicator on the markets was so low. It was like almost where March was and we're a thousand XPX higher. And, you know, VIX went to 42. It's just so many negative things that were already priced in before we got any bit of bad news. So that's caused, like, that's going to cause a squeeze. People are going to get squeezed really, really bad if they're short because of that. And you've already seen that happening. And the market cannot, it's just not going down. Like you get a 10, 20, 30 point sell. We even had a 50 point sell that got bought back the next day and went way higher. So you know, what, do you, what are you expecting to see in the markets now? And it's not going down. It's telling you it wants to continue moving higher. And the big part of that is when you do rotations, you know, value is still way higher than it was before the rotation. And tech is still way higher than it was like, you know, two months ago. So as they rotate, these things will get overshot on the upside and then correct a little bit and then keep rotating because this news is going to cycle in and out. Like we had good news against COVID Monday. Then Wednesday, we had bad news. Everyone's locking down. And now people are expecting more good news on a vaccine over the weekend. So it's just the chop. Like you're going to get up and down on these names, right? If we get another vaccine spike, I'm sure you'll get Fiverr, Etsy, all these lower again. But what I think will happen is that they'll go lower the next time than they did the first time. So Fiverr went to 129 the first time. Maybe it goes only to 143 the next time. And so that's kind of what happens over time because people stop giving a crap. They see that, okay, we had three pieces of vaccine news in the last three weeks. It's not the case to sell every bit of your fiber because it went right back to 177. So people know that that's how they're going to respond from now on because they're not COVID only stocks. They're great companies and I will stand by that. So people will continue to buy back into these names fast. But what I think is going to happen is eventually you'll get a vaccine and you'll see COVID still happening at the same time. And you'll get that rotation being less and less and we'll have this broad based rally up as long as rates stay low, as long as we do get stimulus in the future. And as long as the Fed does not do anything that's against the market expanding. So there's this big unwind, too, for a lot of these short positions, these hedges and everything. They're all for that month of November. That was the most, you know, people were buying that strike. So 
huge OPEX week coming up. And I would definitely be careful and watch out here because maybe we drop after they finish getting, you know, these people who were short and they were hedged and protected getting killed, you know, into that expiry. And then they tank the market down because, you know, the market makers want to take up all that put premium and everything that they had just for that week. So I'm going to be cautious at the end of this week, just because I know that these OPEX weeks, especially on massive unwinds, like you just had, can be, you know, very volatile and sometimes dangerous because maybe we're only getting held up because that unwind is next week. Who knows? Yeah, Tony, this kind of brings up a, a key point we discuss, you know, lots of times. And it's just like the nature of what we do, right? We give a podcast once a week. Doing a financial podcast once a week is a bit crazy in theory, right? Because things could change literally from when we press record to the next day. So despite our core stocks having that slight dip, you personally had a record week. And I was just like, all right, Tony, wish we said that on the podcast last week for certain items. So mm-hmm. what is this like new strategy you've imposed? And for our fans, we are going to start to do a lot more on Twitter throughout the week. So definitely follow at pounding the table on Twitter. So to make sure you keep up to speed as things do change, but talk to us a little bit about this new strategy you are super hyped on. Yeah. So I noticed like a lot of these stocks, they run huge and then they have like such expensive premiums for those months or that week or whatever, which makes it hard to play, right? Like I was loading the five or one forty fives and one fifty calls when he was diving and those did really well. Those went like eight X or something, you know, uh, 4.5 to 32 or something. So I, I sold a lot of those fibers on Friday, but I realized like I want to have exposure into fiber without having just the one-to-one stock risk and with having cash available so that I can take those opportunities when I see them. Because, you know, Fiverr down at 129, I was buying as much as I can, but you can only buy so much if you're already very invested, even if you're hedged and such, because you can only, you know, buy X amount of your account and you don't want to be double, triple leveraged. And so that is a big factor to consider. So what I realized is like, I know I want to have these stocks because A, if you hold them for a year plus, right, you get that tax benefit. And we're going to talk about that in a second with Biden, because that's a huge part of, you know, why people are selling now for this capital gains this year are going to almost positively be better than the ones you'll pay next year. But now you want to start thinking, you know, I always say trading is better than investing and uh, trading and investing is better than just investing. But, you know, with this tax strategy, I don't know how that's going to work out because if that capital gain gets up so much more, which we'll talk about in a second, you want to be in something that's going to have that long-term capital gains, but also have some type of hedge factor in it with itself. So, I'll give you an example of this new strategy. So it's nothing, you know, it's extremely smart or anything. It's just like something that I've noticed over time would actually make me benefit um, in these names that I'm already in. So let's say, for example, I have like SC Limited, right? And that's one of my bigger holdings, probably my biggest. Right now, stocks are like 181, 182. And I want to hold it for more than a year, right? So I can look in the money and go 12 to whatever, you know, maybe 24 months out. But I'm going to go 12 just because I'll explain why in a second. So let's look at the Jan 2022 100 strike in the money call. So SE is at like 181, 182. And that in the money call is worth about, I think, $90. So what you're doing there is you're paying $8 more to own SC at 100 in a year and a few months. So the best part about that, honestly, for me, is that as it goes down, it's almost like there's a built-in hedge because it's an in-the-money option with very, very little extrinsic premium. Most of it's just like, one-to-one share price. So 181 minus 100, right? That's $81. So that's the difference from that strike. I mean, you're paying 90. So you have a little premium to pay there. But what, what's good about it is when the market crashes, like when these stocks go down, you're not losing one-to-one like you're losing with shares. So let's say that SC goes from 180 down to 150. So that option is going to go from 90 down to you know maybe 75 or, or 70. So you're going to lose about a third less as it goes down 
just because it has that more and more premium will turn into that extrinsic premium. So I like that strategy because A, I can buy the same amount of shares I want through that strategy and have that hedge if it goes down and then have a bunch of cash in case an opportunity arises. So I'm not saying instead of buying $100,000 worth of SE stock, you buy $100,000 worth of those SEs in the monies. I'm saying if you want to buy 1,000 shares of SE, it's better in my opinion to buy 10 of those in the money 100 strike calls than that amount of shares because A, you're spending half the cash B, you have a hedge built in because it's an in-the-money option and it'll go down less than the shares one-to-one on the way down. And see, if it goes up, it's a lot easier to double that amount of money than it is to double the $200 share. Because naturally, if the stock doubles, you'll make 100%. But if you have those options, you'll make 200% additional gains. So that's the benefit there. And I like that a lot because it allows you to have half your money pretty much in cash that you want to be invested in and half your money in these in-the-money leaps, which have that built-in hedge. So that's another part of my, my strategy. And I'll be like looking at it more and getting more into it. But I did start doing that with a few names like SC and Teladoc. So in a year, I can take those and execute them, exercise those options, and they'll become 100 share lots for me. But just in the intermediary, as they're running up, it's harder to have just shares of it because, you know, share goes down $10, you lose $10. The share, the in the money call goes down $10. It's because the stock went down way more than $10. So for me, it's got that built in hedge risk. And it's a lot easier to hedge options that are like in the money leaps with weekly calls because you don't need to do, you know, like hard one-to-one as much. So you spend less hedging if you want to add an extra hedge and you have pretty much the same upside because you're only paying like $8 premium for a whole year and a half or a year and three months of holding that stocks in the money call. Yeah, We put you on a pedestal as this, you know, stock God, but you're very humble in the sense that you're always willing to learn, always willing to iterate, always willing to change. So quick, obvious injection here, because I've heard theses before from you. At what point, you know, do you say, okay, this is my new thesis. I'm going to run with this. And then how do you know kind of when to iterate? Is it just the first time that it fails? Then you're like, okay, I need a new uh, mm. strategy here. Like when does it get ingrained in your brain? Is like, okay, this is now a Tony rule that I'm sticking to for the next right. you know, five years. Right. So, I mean, I like to make rules when I see that there's a way that I can improve on something I'm already doing. So I do want to have like 10% of my portfolio each in my top five names, right? So I want to own SC, Square, Mealy, um, TDOC, and uh, Fiverr in that capacity. So about 10% each. But I could get more juice by buying those in the money calls and less risk, right? So I can buy the same amount of shares that I want to buy, and spend half the money by buying those very deep in the money calls and have that protection on the downside, right? Because the good thing is, since it's an option, it's not going to go down one-to-one like the share price will, right? Like I was looking at the calculations, like for something like SC, I have those in the money 100s. And if it goes down 50, those go from $90 each to $60 each. So you're only losing $30 on that share dropping versus if the stock, you would lose $50, which means you have to hedge way less if you want to hedge, but you may not even need to hedge because you're not losing that one-to-one percent on SC. And as it goes up, you're pretty much making, percent-wise, you're making double, right? Because I'm buying it about halfway in the money of where the stock is right now. I'm buying the 100 call and it's almost at 200. So I'm spending half the money. I have less risk because of the fact that it's an option that will gain extrinsic value as it goes down. And I have 50% cash that I could use to hedge or to trade around. 
But the big thing I want to emphasize here is I'm not saying use this with all the extra money in your account because it costs less. I'm saying if you want to buy 100 shares of something already, this might be a good alternative. But it's, it's not saying that because it's half the price, buy twice as much because that is twice the risk no matter what you say. As we're looking ahead here, the presidency, you know, we joked around that Biden, we think, you know, won the presidency. Obviously, there's still a lot more legality that the mainstream media is not focusing on and anything could change. But let's, again, assume Biden's going to win the presidency. We have this kind of, you know, Super Bowl is the presidency. We have almost like overtime here in Super Bowl with all the eyes on the Senate, right? And we're, of course, talking about Georgia. They have this runoff election. It's going to happen on January 5th. That's going to decide both of Georgia's U.S. Senate seats, which is not just Georgia, right? This is now shifting potentially the majority of the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. This is whether or not it's a blue wave. Like this is the determination. Like it all comes down to Georgia. Without our crystal balls in front of us as to what will happen, let's just at least high level discuss like why this matters. If Biden, let's just assume again, he does become president. What does this mean for investors? Yeah, I mean, so you just have to understand that the biggest thing about Republicans versus Democrats is the way that they think about the market. I mean, for, for obviously for the market, it's like, you know, are you fiscally conservative or not? And I think that a lot of people are actually fiscally conservative, even if they're like on the liberal side socially. So, you know, like, for instance, like I'm very in the middle, moderate libertarian. So I'm kind of like that. Um, So I do not like that they're going to be raising all these taxes. And, you know, there's going to have this new 12.4% social security tax incomes above 400k, just split between the employers and employees. So that's not helping people who are like middle class or lower class, and, and, and definitely not helping the people who are running these businesses want to hire more people and like want to expand that business, right? Corporate income tax increases from 21 to 28%. Like that's a big change, right? That's a 33% increase on that tax. Repealing those Trump tax cuts, which were set to expire in 2025. But obviously if they do that right away, that's four years early. And a lot of that got priced into the market, obviously. So it'll revert in price and come back down to like different valuations because of that. And here's the real kicker that's going to suck if it happens, hopefully not. Long-term capital gains rate increases from 23.8% to 39.6% on incomes over a million, right? So people who have a lot of money spend a lot of money building businesses that employ people who have less money so that they can have more money, right? So you're literally screwing the economy by like, you can have your own political views, but from a market perspective, this sucks. Like this is not what you want to have happen. And and there's no one who can convince me otherwise. It's, clear, it's just numbers, it's data. You put high taxes, people produce less, people hire less. That's just how that works. So that is the difference. And the reason why the Senate matters so much is because that will determine if it's a blue wave, right? Like you have a blue house, you have a blue president. If it's a blue wave, then this is gonna like this is gonna happen, right? Like you're gonna have this tax increase. Most likely, it's gonna happen, right? And that is going to screw up the economy. I, I really like there's no discussion for me on this topic. Like I know that's going to happen. So I am worried if that happens because like the market will get revalued. You're not going to get this like fun, volatile, like expansive move that happened because of these tax cuts. And of course, like the Fed's at the helm. You've got low interest rates. You've got monetary expansion, stimulus, all that. But at the end of the day, this is going to impact the markets negatively, this tax. If Georgia both go Republican, then there's no blue wave and you're not passing the taxes. It's not going to happen. But if you get both of them are Democrat and you have the, you add the two independents, right? So you're at 50-50 because Republicans have 50 senators. Now, if you're at 50-50, Kamala Harris is going to de- determine the vote in the middle and which way is she going to go, right? You have a sweep if it's 50-50. So you need 
Republicans to win at least one of the Georgia seats and two, honestly, would be better. So that, I mean, from a market perspective, political crap aside, but that's just what's going to happen in the markets. To kind of reiterate what you're mentioning, the key bullet points, I think, is, you know, that 12.4% Social Security tax on incomes above 400000 I think that's been front and center for everyone. The majority of the United States, of course, does not make $400,000. But I think from in terms of an investor, and if they do eventually go ahead and change those long-term gains, you know, from 23.8% to 39.6%. Maybe that doesn't affect your average retail investor, but that's going to change the market in terms of these institutions. They all have over a million dollars. And, you know, I guess that's the surface area. And this is why you're on the show. And this is why I'm asking the questions. How is this going to affect these huge funds? Right. I mean, think of like these people have already sold so much this year ahead of the election because they knew that selling would happen if Biden won because people are expecting this tax to increase. So they priced this in already. They prepared for this. Right. So this is why part of the reason we're getting this massive unwind of shorts and hedges is because people were thinking all this happened and people have already sold a ton of their positions. And now people are obviously betting on how the Senate runoff is going to go. So now they can be speculative about it which is why you see people buying and you see other people still selling. It's just, it's a big part of that. So, I mean, for me personally, I've booked every big gain and I don't care if it becomes a long or a short term. Like I just booked it because you don't know what's going to happen, right? You get a blue wave and it's January and you won't know before January. So you try to book something in January, you're paying that capital gains. Like that, that's, that is the difference of why like people did this ahead of time. Cause it wasn't a question of how bad is it going to be when it happens? It's if it happens, I want to have everything sold this year because what's 10% between friends, right? Like you want to get that figured out before. Like I would hate to pay double the capital gains tax just because I didn't sell one day before December 31st, uh, 2020. And we've been talking about the ups and downs of the markets. Tony went out of his way and found his own thesis injection pick this week, which is ticker symbol F-U-T-U. These guys have a market cap of about $5.7 billion. We gave this one initially back in the day at 33. It's now sits at 42. So since we first pounded, we got a 27% growth. This is definitely a double, you know, it could be a triple pound for me because I'm actually super bullish on this stock. And I was bullish on it a lot. Like I talked about it on my Twitter and I posted its chart many, many times since it was in the 28s and the 30s and stuff. But now it's like exploding and people can see the value of it. And I don't think people realize that we're playing all these trends that are based on people investing in these trends. So the main trend is not like, e-commerce or payment processing or whatever, because that's all, you know, that's happening in the economy. Anyway, the main trend is people investing in investable things, right? Like that's, that is the trend that you're seeing because of COVID. You have five times the number of brokerages open. You have like, I can't even tell you the multiple of people playing options versus not playing options in the past. So you are seeing speculation at all time highs. So you invest in things that people are speculating on the most for the upside. And that's just simple to me. So I find a lot of companies that are in the twenties, the thirties, the forties with like market caps under, you know, four or 5 billion or so, maybe under 10 billion that have the potential to be the next SE 40 to 200, like square, you know, 30 to 200, those kind of stocks. So now I think Futu is one of those in my opinion. And there's only a few reasons why I would give a company like this like a very, very strong pound. And it's like going to be one of my bigger holdings, I think, moving forward because it hasn't had that explosive run yet. And I love that. So think about it like Chinese Robinhood with a social aspect. So they provide in- investing services, including stock trading and clearing, margin financing, wealth management, market data and information. And this is the really cool part that I like about it. Interactive social features for Hong Kong, US and China Connect. And this just connects it all for those individual investors through its proprietary one-stop digital platform, Futubo. So like Weeble, but like Futubo. 
So it's also created a network centered around its users and provides connectivity to users, investors, companies, analysts, media, and key opinion leaders. So it's basically like a one-stop shop to be able to do your investing, to get margin if you want, and to connect with people about the stocks that you're like investing in. And I think that's a really, really cool thing because the reason people are getting so into investing is because you have things like Portnoy on Twitter, getting everyone invested who was doing sports and now they do options or, you know, that kind of like connectivity between the global internet media audience. And that is exactly what Futu is capitalizing on. So right here, you can look at the numbers. They're pretty good. I mean, next year's price to sales of only 11.9 times. Like that's very, very not bad for a company that's growing 91% year over year with a 35% net income margin. Like, wow, like that company is banking on money for everything that they do. And so I'm going to give this one a $200 pound. And I know that's like a 5X from here, but give it a year. So I just did a little digging here. I saw that the CEO, whose name is Leafly, is the largest shareholder with 37% of the entire stock owned by Leafly. Now, the second largest shareholder is about 30%, uh, which I believe is Tencent. It's followed by an ownership of 4.4% of the third largest shareholder. One of my secret rules that I always just follow, and, and, and I don't like, I will do this blindly because I believe that this thing is so strong of a rule, is that when you see a company that own, is owned a lot by not only okay, the founder, the guy who created the CEO, he has to own a lot. Okay, second, if you see a big beast company buy a certain number of sh- a percent of the shares, like, okay, Tencent owns 30% of this. You know what else Tencent owned? Tencent owned like 7% of Tesla and Tencent still owns 25% of SC. All right, that's one. That's check, check, check. Spade is a spade. Two, here, you've got the CEO owns 37% of the outstanding shares. You know, the guy who owns and runs Pinduoduo? Right, 138 billion market cap. Chinese stock similar went crazy from 30 to 153. He owns 53% of the entire company, so that's double double trouble right there. Like that's very very good things to see on both aspects. And I'll give you examples of when I saw this happen before. Right, so obviously SC is one of those examples. But you look back to my data dog call last year, which I posted on Twitter before I had the podcast. But basically the point was that DocuSign had a secondary offering. And of the DocuSign secondary offering shares, T. Rowe Price essentially bought the entire outstanding share float of that secondary the next day that it came available. And they did the same thing with Datadog. So I posited that DDog would follow the, the track of DocuSign because of that thing happening on the secondary offering. And it did. It did exactly that. So that's a good rule to follow. When you see the same people buying similar amounts of the same stock in the same situations or big owners of a company owning X percent of that company, those are very, very bullish things to look into because I've rarely found that to be wrong. Like, look, Tencent just put money into Farfetched and like Baba too. Like th- this is happening. You know, it's, it's a wave that's happening. Everyone's favorite section of the show is what should we be looking out for in the near future? We do talk about the same kind of five, 10 stocks over and over again. So let's just skip over, you know, some of the stocks we constantly pound and let's discuss what our pound nations should be focused on here in the next couple of months. Yeah. And I'm happy to do that because I know a lot of people have been asking, you know, what is your take on these bigger market cap companies? You know, and I'll, and I'll list them here. Some stocks that I like, that are more safer companies because they have higher market caps, like very strong revenue. They've been around for 10, 20 years or whatever. I'm a big fan of Google here. And I was actually pounding Google and in the 1400s on my Twitter. And I like actually one of my biggest gainers of the year was Google leaps just because I knew it was very undervalued compared to Apple, Amazon, how they ran and Google has been crushing it too. So Google is one I think is still very undervalued because consider Amazon and Google were both a thousand dollars at the same time. 
right? And now Google's 17 something, 1760 and Amazon's 3,100. Even though Amazon is doing more revenue and more profit and everything, Google is very far away in terms of market cap from Amazon. So it's got some room to run there, in my opinion. PayPal, another one I like. I love that they're adding to that Bitcoin transaction. That's going to be big for them and to let them innovate continuously. Now, Avi, I'm still blown away by the demo you showed me on Salesforce. Avi, you showed me that demo on like how you use Salesforce and everything because I'm just like, you know, one man grifter show here. I don't really do the Salesforce vibe, but I love that, you know, the way that it was working, I thought it was fantastic. I just had never been on it before. Crazy earnings beat, stellar growth there. So, and that one's actually been basing well above that earnings pop. So I'm a fan of it here. ServiceNow, one of the best running companies, in my opinion, that to know, to me, it's a no brainer. Like those companies will continue to just slowly go up and grow. And the same with Adobe. I'm a fan of those. These are big name stocks, Google, PayPal, CRM, ServiceNow, Adobe. So is this a trend you see kind of overall is shifting to safer names? Is, is, is this a theme or is this just random stocks you pick up? I mean, this is definitely a theme for me. And it's another thing that I'm trying to like incorporate into my strategy a bit because, you know, this in the money leap thing can work on these bigger names too. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's a better way to, for me to do that too, because I don't want to allocate X and X capital to, you know, a $500 stock that's going to grow, you know, 30, 40% a year, but you know, it's going to be less of that crazy move that I want to put in for stock capital. And so I do like all these names though. I mean, we don't only have to talk about the 10, 20 stocks that we talk about. It's just, I'm a growth, like I'm a hyper growth investor. I'm chasing 250, 300% returns, at least with the size capital I have. So I, I am going to continue to be owning mostly those riskier, higher growth stocks and, you know, hedging and everything we talk about here. But I know people are looking for other names that are, you know, not as volatile and risky. And like uh, some of our friends own Apple so that when Apple holds up better on a market dive, they can allocate that to those higher risk stocks. So I'm a fan mm. of those five we just listed. And I mean, they're going to be continuing to be industry leaders for years moving forward. And if you want to, you know, safe, safen up your portfolio a little bit, like those are the ones you can add capital to. These companies are the new L'Oreal's, the new Unilever's of the world. And what I mean by that is these massive, massive companies, these industry leaders within the tech community that you know, they just have that advantage or they can just buy up any new tech that's happening. If you think about your investment portfolio as as a tree, right? You want to have those huge, huge tree trunks. You also want to have some branches that are those mid, you know, mid growth that are going to start to grow. And then, you know, the Nanoxes of the world, the Jumias of the world, those could be those twigs that are kind of those hyper growth potential stocks that we talk about. So let's jump into some of those newer names actually within, you know, this world that you're looking into the next couple months. Yeah. And of course, like I want to preface that the way that I choose these, I'm looking into companies that have that strong growth, like, like Futu's earnings. Like I was just talking about, they're, they're doing very well and they're growing quickly. And I like the space that they're getting into. So those are the ones I'll kind of talk about, or if they have like a shift in market sentiment because of, you know, administration policies or whatever. So just to start it off, uh, this company called Progeny, P-G-N-Y. So I've been looking at the stock for a while, and I think it's finally ready to break out. So Progeny's vision is to ensure anyone can have a child when they want. They take a smart approach to fertility and family building benefit solutions. So they bring together the most cutting edge science and the largest high quality network of fertility specialists in, in the nation to try to deliver those superior clinical outcomes and shorten the path to getting pregnant, because that still is a very big issue for a lot of women. The numbers on that are actually quite high. So that's definitely an area that we need improvement on. And Progeny is growing at like 60% a 
year is going to be profitable quite soon. And I think it's very cheap market cap. It's something like under 3 billion and they're doing 500 million plus already in revenue. So one to watch on that front and something that's going to be a big uh, winner in the in the coming years because that's an industry we need to focus on. Teladoc, of course, you know, the merger has been completed. People are still selling a little bit. I think they had too much exposure regardless. People just didn't take care of that before the merger was done. But now it's getting more and more taken care of. And it's got very strong support here in the 180s. I think it's cheap now at this valuation. Of course, we have to talk about the weed stocks. Those have just gone insane. You know, TCNNF is up, I think, 35% since we first pounded it, maybe 40. TRSSF, same. And CRBLF also running really well. And I think those will continue to squeeze as we see more and more states and maybe the entire country become federally legal for marijuana. Uh, Fathom, of course, is another real estate uh, online play that we talk about. Very low market cap, you know, very good price to sales ratio in comparison. I think that one's getting ready to squeeze as a new IPO. Of course, Futu, I'm going to pound that for next few weeks. Fetch, of course, Farfetch, of course, that one too. And I think Square is actually holding up really well after they had great earnings report and uh, went to 200, sold back off to the 170s, of course, in this uh, high growth sell-off. So I think that's definitely one that I'm going to be adding more to. I think it can easily run to the 250s. In terms of some more stuff for the, you know, the Biden shift, the maybe possible blue wave is something to look at. Solar, Sunrun and Solar Edge both got uh, a huge rally earlier this year and have sold off a bit. So those are looking like really good buys here, in my opinion, for myself. I, I'll be adding to these just because they're holding that uh, volume shelf. They're holding that anchored volume uh, weighted average price. And they look like they're going to be turning up higher after a strong sell-off. And of course, Avi, we have to mention your favorite Nanox. You know, got to mm. keep an eye out for that one. You've got the patent news coming, multiple demos keep coming. They're, they're going to be coming up at the end of the month. So it'll move huge one way or the other after, and it'll be a completely different stock. So keep an eye on that. Anything else, Avi, that we're forgetting? You mentioned to me this company called Ehang, which is the, like a, the Uber of flights or something i have no idea you were you were showing me this video and i was just like blown away is that a is that a real stock or is that yeah kind of like yeah, a, yeah. a pipe dream or what, what's going on with that one yeah so this one i was debating on bringing on for pounding the table it's symbol uh h is the ticker symbol and it's called ehang Holdings. so they basically created autonomous drone taxis so obviously that's the next step in air travel for like getting around cities. And it's not just like a concept. They actually started doing, I think they did the first test uh, just now in, in a city in Asia. I forget. I think it was actually might've been Shanghai. I'm not, not sure exactly. I've just been looking at this company and I like that they're actually already making moves in the air and they are increasing revenues. It's a little bit overpriced, of course, because it's that new tech that you have to think about that people are just not sure how to value it yet. But who knows, like, what if, you know, this gets a huge contract in one of those Asian cities and it starts being like the ubiquitous thing that everyone uses for flying tax. So one to keep an eye on, you know, not a pound yet, but I'll dive in and I'll let you guys know next week. Any cool earnings, Avi, that you see coming up? Maybe the biggest stock earnings that I care about that exists? In terms of earnings, tons and tons of retail. We had some retail news coming up here on Tuesday. A lot of folks are going to be announcing their earnings. But the one thing we do care about, which is also coincidentally on Tuesday, is C-Limited. Tony, I know you've been pounding C-Limited for quite some time. What can we expect from these earnings? Okay, so this might be the earnings report that I'm most excited about to see. I have never in my entire trading career seen a stock get positive news every single day without fail. The only other time you saw that was during COVID when Zoom was Zooming. Literally, that was the only other time I've ever seen it. Or when Tesla did the Model 3, you got good news every day for three months. Those are the only other times I've really ever seen it. But SC Limited is having so many 
positive reports every day. It's like, oh, okay, Free Fire is now filling up. A million people are watching it, half an NBA game. So SE's singles day was absolutely massive. It was like 200 million things sold versus 70 million last year. Like all three of their legs are going nuts. And here's the one thing that actually I might need to, I need to look into this a lot, is SE is starting to get very big in Brazil, which I don't like because I'm huge into Melee. And if SE which also has the same two legs as Mealy for payment processing e-commerce. That's worrisome to me, depending on who's going to eat whom's lunch. And I think that the, the, the speed at which SE is moving in is terrifying to me because as, as a Mealy investor, obviously I'm a very, very big SC investor and both can benefit in, in, in that 650 million you know, population. But I'm seeing that SC is getting downloaded in the top 10 in Brazil now. Like that's absurd. Wow. Like it, it just, and it just did this. It just moved into there. So don't, don't look at the EPS. Don't look at any of that crap. Only thing you have to look at is what is their revenue? What is their GMV? What is their like usage increase on those things? If they're like negative $2 on EPS, smile because they spent so much money in developing that in six months, a year, they're going to make twice as much profit because they grew now. This is the Amazon story as clear as day as I can see it. They're going to blow estimates out of the water on the things that matter. Like it's not going to be about their EPS. I don't care if they lose two bucks. Genuinely. I said this on Twitter. Anything can happen like that. They've spent so much money expanding and I've never seen this many positive articles. So maybe it has a negative reaction after the report, but just know that I'm 99% sure that that report is going to be a very positive one to show SE's future. So we got a cannibalism conundrum. I'm thinking about now because I own Mealy and SE. Is this something we just got to kind of keep our eyes on over the next yeah. couple of weeks, months, or, or is, yep. is, I guess, will there be one winner or is there a place for both of them to win? I mean, I, the way that I look at it is like there's a place in the US for shop, Amazon, you know, Big C, other, these companies can all enter, they can coexist. Mm-hmm. But LATAM is really about infrastructure. And I think Mealy already has that Mercado Pago and like Mercado Libre just like shopping infrastructure. But it's very easy for another company to come in and get users if it's already like, you know, they can capitalize the entire uh, video game world, which, you know, those trends go together. You have increase in internet in Latin America, so you're going to have increase in gaming. SC knows that, so they're going to kill it in the gaming area. And Mercado Pago can't be everywhere, and Mercado Libre can't be the only thing that people buy from. So you're going to see there is going to be movements to SE there. But all you have to watch is as long as Mealy can hit its estimates and continue to do well, then the market's big enough. Because what will happen is it's not going to be equal shares of the same pie. That pie gets bigger every year as more people shift to the internet. So those companies can both still hit it out of the park together. But if you see slowing growth and you see huge growth in SE, then obviously you, we'll talk about that when it gets there, if it gets there. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. And I'm, I'm in this world too. So I do want to make a comment. I think we talked about this a few episodes ago. I think uh, McKinsey came out with this report that said over the past three months when COVID first started, e-commerce shot up, I think, over the same over the last 10 years. So that's a crazy stat within itself. But when I'm thinking about this in a natural environment, right, thinking about my parents who never, ever, ever bought anything online, they now bought things online. Now that behavior is the key, right? That behavior has now changed to the point where they said, oh my God, I just got the same thing as if I went to the store. Those people aren't going to go away. They're going to continue to buy online. And to your point, Tony, there's more and more people alive. And you look at, you know, our our cousins or family members that are seven years old, they already got cell phones. These people are digital first, and this is not going to go away. So people that think all of these stocks are COVID stocks, 
they're insane. I, this is gonna continue to absolutely grow, and this is here to stay. That's just my one take here. I could not have said it better myself, Avi. You have learned so much from this podcast, and I love it. So yeah. I completely, I double pound these COVID stocks becoming the leaders and companies like around the country and the world. That's right, folks. Avi Stocks is also adding value now to the podcast. So <laughs> no longer just the Tony Show. This is Pounding the Table. And this wraps up episode 16. So if you guys have not yet checked out our website, it is www.poundingthetablepodcast.com. Go ahead and subscribe. We're going to do some new great things coming up here in the future. But before we wrap things officially up, Tony, as always, Please end the podcast on a positive note. I'm happy to, Avi. And I, and I love seeing that you've learned actually so much. And like, I've known you for years and you have learned nothing in the two years before we started this podcast. And That's like, you're I getting more. In, right. Yeah, exactly. And it was a genius thing for you to do is send me a microphone and then learn every one of my secrets. And now everyone else gets to. So you guys can actually thank Avi for pounding the table. But, you know, at the end here, we just want to say, you know, if you like the show, please continue to share it with your friends and family. Like, you know, we, we do this for free. We have a support button available if you'd like to contribute to the ongoing success of the show. We can always improve a lot of things about the show. We'll bring on more guests and all that. And it's just going to continue to try and make Pounding the Table a household name. And I love the idea of sharing all I know and all Avi now knows with everyone. And that's just, I mean, that's why we do this. So keep those comments, those questions, bring those concerns and critiques. We want it all. We just want to interact. So thank you guys for always doing that. We hope you enjoy the show. And as always, have a great trading week, Hounders. Drip on a hundred bits, say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big.